rest of us will be in the book of Revelation, and this is our very last week in this book. All right, some of you are excited, some of you are disappointed. We'll see. Uh, all right, our final sermon. So, Revelation actually has built into it like a natural conclusion, and so we have seen a lot in this book. We have seen a lot. We have seen uh, the glory of Jesus on display. We have seen uh, the letters to their churches, their various temptations and, uh, and encouragements. We've seen the, the vision of the throne room, the seven seals, the, the cries of the martyrs, the 144,000 standing before the throne, the trumpets and the bowls, warning is against idolatry and the, the beastly governments that would persecute the church. We've seen the temptations of wealth and Lady Babylon, Jesus in victory, the binding of Satan, and finally that beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth, our final dwelling place with God. Now, as we uh, kind of wrap up this book, Revelation, it, it leaves us with this great exhortation to the people, an exhortation to actually live in light of all of the things that have been revealed here. Revelation is not just meant to be this, uh, this hypothetical or abstract or esoteric, complicated thing that kind of we, just, we just think about and, and it, we kind of feel superior that we know some more than other people. Uh, no, it's supposed to change our lives. This is foundation by which we live. And so uh, we're going to see what Revelation thinks we should do with this book having concluded it. And ultimately, it's going to tell us that in light of Jesus' return, because of the fact that he is coming again, we should live in holiness. We should live in holiness that reflects who we are in Christ as the one who is awaiting his return. So, let's read Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. Okay, pretty long passage. Hang in there. 22, 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that, for I'm a fellow servant with you, and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the books of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might use this final exhortation to apply all the things that we have learned over these past months. Lord, we long to be people who are changed, who are transformed, who are different because we have seen the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return, who have seen the great hope of our eternal home and have seen the the warnings of temptation and trial and idolatry. Father, I ask that we would not be hard-hearted, that we would not remain as we are, but we would change, that we'd live in light of the glorious things that have been revealed to us in this book. Lord, would you bring those things to mind, and would you give us uh, the courage and faithfulness to live according to them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... We have five exhortations, okay? I know, I don't usually have five-point sermons, but that's just the way it is. So, uh, five points. Let's jump right in. Blessings to those who hear the prophecy. That's that first exhortation. You'll be blessed if you really hear these words. He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, of this book. All right. Now, as we begin, we've seen this word, these, this phrase, these words are trustworthy and true again and again in this book. Trustworthy and true. Now, some of you have received revelation as, as strange as maybe confusing, as shocking, or as, as some of you, the, the warmer ones, you know, as, as loving and as, as joyful and uh, as hopeful. All right, but outside of this kind of emotional experience of the book, we must see these, these words are, they are trustworthy and true. That God is saying that that you know, these are the things that are going to happen. And the state of the world is such as Revelation reveals it. That it is this, uh, this conflict between good and evil. It is this battle between the church and the nations of the world and the, the lady Babylon city and persecutions and sufferings and endurance until the end. That that actually is how the world is. And when we look at our world and we look at our lives, 
Do we align it with the realities that are presented in Revelation? Do we fight the right battles? Do we seek the right things? Do we spend our money the right way? Do we invest our time in the right things? These are trustworthy and true, and they're trustworthy and true because, because Jesus is coming again. And do you remember in, in, in Revelation 19 what Jesus' name was in that passage? Trustworthy and true. It's because we have someone who is coming, who is trustworthiness and who is truth, and he's going to establish these things. It is in Jesus' hands. And out of love for you, his people, and out of faithfulness to his Father, he will make these things true. And these things are true in him. He's already working them. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. All right, that's a mouthful. Uh, the God of the spirits of the prophets. What's he saying? This is the, he's saying the, the Lord. This Lord is that very same God who put the spirit in all the prophets that came before. You think of all the prophecies that have led us up to this book. And we realize, okay, how many, how many of those prophecies have, have turned out well? We have things like the, the prophecy of the, the child born of Eve who would crush the serpent's head. We have promises to David of a, a throne that would be held forever. We have promises of deliverance, the book of Exodus. We have promises and, and prophecies that God would destroy the northern kingdom through Assyria. There are countless prophecies about Judah falling to Babylon, of the exile and the people who were taken away, of Cyrus, the strangest of people actually delivering them and bringing them back to the promised land. We have promises of the man who is in the wilderness crying out, John the Baptist. We have prophecies of Jesus, the suffering servant, the child born of a virgin, of the one who would bear all of our affliction and, and pain, who would take on sin. And what's basically being said here is, this is the same God who made those prophecies. And as sure as those things came to pass, this, this book will come to pass. And is coming to pass ever since the, the ascension of Jesus Christ. They're trustworthy and they are true. All right, but let, let's, let's, let's tackle the, the elephant in the room. Okay. Uh, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. All right, this is a sticking point. Because some of you are like, okay, this is trustworthy and true. It's going to happen soon, and it's been 2,000 years. All right, legitimate, legitimate issue there. All right, so what does it mean? What does it mean when he says that... Uh, these things are happening soon. All right, we have to be a little bit, hold this as Scripture holds it. Uh, we're mostly contrasting this with Daniel. When Daniel gave his prophecies, uh, it said, like, these things are not happening soon. 
they're happening really far down the line. So far down the line, actually, that uh, some of Daniel's prophecies, he said, don't even open them. Don't tell anyone about them, because they're so far in the future, it doesn't, we're not going to be helpful to them. All right, so in what sense is it soon that these things are coming to pass? All right, I would say that it's in, in two regards. First, these things are already coming to pass. They are already inaugurated in that the war is already sorted. All right, we've, we've talked about a lot of realities that are just the case right now, that, that the nations want to destroy the church, that there's persecution and idolatry that, that's trying to work its way into the church, that there are false teachers. All, right, all that stuff, that's now, ever since the ascension of Christ. It's inaugurated. It's started. All right, but there's a second sense. This stuff is soon because between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' second coming, there are no other events. All right, there's no other big redemptive historical events. All that needs to happen is Jesus needs to come back. All right, so some, some of you think, oh, like, Maybe this is happening soon in the sense of it could happen 20 years from now. After all, look, look, I see, I see wars and rumors of war. Or I've seen earthquakes like that talks about that. The moon looked funny the other night. Like it's, maybe it's that. Uh, darkness, fire, or something. Uh, all right. I'm going to say it's not that. It's actually, it's sooner than that. All right. We don't need to make Putin into the Antichrist or do weird things. We just need to accept that, all right, there's, there's nothing else needs to happen except Christ needs to return. And that's a sobering thought because I think we, we all want like a little warning sign so we can get our act together. One last chance, like, oh, it's real. Okay, like now I'll be a Christian. All right, this book is actively saying that is not the case. You will not get another warning. You're not going to get the, the warning from your parents before the timeout comes. Right? No, good parenting. It just, it just, just happens. Uh, and that's where I, I encourage us. We need to be ready now. We need to be ready and the purpose of reading this book is such that we would, would be ready. That we would know the state of the world and we would prepare for it. That we'd know what the currencies of the kingdom are versus those of the world. That we'd know what we're tasked with. What temptations are, are threatening us right here and right now. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So I ask us, I ask us, are you, are you right now, today, tomorrow, this week, are you applying the things that we have talked about here? Are you living in light of eternity? Are you living like Jesus is Lord and that he's coming soon? Are you living like the church that's called to be holy and set apart? And at war with evil and Satan and sin and idolatry.
Or are you worshiping the governments of this world, seeking power from them? Are you making allegiances with Lady Babylon and the wealth that she possesses? To have a little bit of both worlds. Have you invested in sin, which is going to be destroyed and be no more? If it is your hope, it it will not. It will not remain. All right, so what am I asking you to do? Uh, All right, we've been talking about this for months and months, right? All right. Was there anything you felt convicted to actually do? Things that you would do that would change your life? All right, what I'm doing, I do something. Do something different as a result of these realities. Go home and make a list of the things that like, well, this would probably, if my life took revelation into account, I might do this or this or this differently. Right? That's actually, that's actually why, why we stand up here partially, is to proclaim the gospel and to, to help you know, like, okay, don't be... Don't be ignorant. Don't neglect these things. Don't just let them pass you by. Don't let them be one in one ear out the other. And, and why do I want you to actually do something with these things? Because blessing comes to those who do. All right, it's not, this is not a guilt trip. This is not to shame you. This is not because if you don't have enough works, you might not make it into heaven. Uh, it's none of those things. It's because if If this is the way the world is, if Christ is coming back, there are great blessings to be found in in holiness and obedience and living for his glory. And I want you to take hold of that blessing and, and possess it for yourself, for your own joy. And that when he comes back, you may may joyfully receive him and not regret the life that you look back on. All right. That's number one. Ready for four more? Yeah, all right. <laughs> they go faster, I, I think. Um, all right. Second exhortation. How to use this book correctly. All right, let's look at this. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to them, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. All right, I'm going to say there's kind of two temptations with this book. First, first is missing the whole point, which is the worship of God, and getting wrapped up in, in the message itself. All right, let me explain that. Uh, so John, John, he multiple times in the book ends up worshiping the angel that tells him about this stuff. All right, that's a problem. All right, he's so, he's so t- taken back by all of it and overwhelmed by it and seems so glorious. And, and this angel before him seems so glorious that he worships the, the angel himself. Now, I don't think that we're in danger of that so much um, that I know of uh, to worship the angel of prophecy. But all right, some people, they receive this book, and it doesn't translate into worship. It just translates into this, like, 
navel-gazing fascination and obsession with understanding the, the future and end times and what does, what does that symbol mean and, and trying to map it onto current history and, and missing the fact that the ultimate cause, the purpose of this whole book is, is first to, to be blessed and second to worship. And that worship one is even more primary. That there are reasons in this book to worship. And it's not just about blessing. It's about understanding who God is and what he's doing. And what that reveals about his great love for you. The riches of the gospel. Maybe even the the depth of his wrath and his justice paralleled with the depth of his grace and his love for his people that causes us to to well up and to worship. Are there things in this book that have caused you to worship? Are there truths that help you think, like, "I, I should probably worship God for that? Don't leave it with the book. All right, you haven't, you haven't completed, you haven't completed the, the transition here until you've actually worshipped God. I feel like I can stop and be like, I should worship God for that. And then I don't. And then I just go to the next thing that like, oh, I could probably worship about that too. Or stop and, and worship God. Praise him, delight in him. Thank him. Speak of these things to him. Right. Second, second error we do here is uh, we can mistreat this book by totally, totally neglecting it. Right? Not obsessively kind of missing the point, but of neglecting it completely. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. All right. So I already mentioned this. I gave away the punchline. Uh, Daniel, Daniel said received a, a prophecy, and he said, actually, seal it up because it's not helpful. This book, he says, no, don't you dare seal it up because it is helpful. The time is near. What's he saying? He's saying that this book is helpful right here and right now and needs to be read and applied and understood. All right. Now, think of the, think of the hope that is found in this book. Hope that you, it's, it's difficult to find other places. A hope of the details of the life beyond this one. Of a new heavens and a new earth. Physical and tangible. Real. To enjoy all the blessings of creation. Right? The, the hope of, of justice. And the end of persecution. The defeat of all suffering. That all of these things are, are brought together and God finally, finally acts in the way we can, cannot imagine and we could never, we could never redeem these things for ourselves. The hope of sin outside of us being defeated and sin in our very hearts being removed forever that you'd be free to worship God independent of any sin. All right. If we neglect this book, we will not understand the, the warnings that are offered to us. 
warnings against persecution, idolatry, that Lady Babylon, the, the riches of wealth, the governments of the world and their, their powers that draw us to acquiesce to their, their authorities so that we don't get persecuted, false teaching and idolatry. Right, this book, more than any other, it gives us such visions of, of God. Right, the richness of that Jesus riding in on the white horse in all of his glory and victory. This is not a picture of Jesus on the cross. It fills out the picture. Him in his exalted glory. Where the Father, sitting in the throne room, being praised by the multitudes, just repeating again and again, glory, glory, glory. That is what life is about. The glory of God. All right. So, all right, I'll, I'll try this analogy. It's not great. Uh, I just lower expectations. So, you, if you like it, I, I, yeah, it's, I don't know. if I, you didn't like it, I, I told you so. All right, um, all right, so, all right, think of it like this. Think of it like this. All right. Think of a, a sports car. All right, like very fancy, like race car. All right, what does it melt? It's like, it's like made, and the engineers around it, they just like dedicate so much into like the speed and that it would work perfectly. It's fine-tuned. And like every technological thought that's ever been thought of is trying to be applied to this car that might be, run faster and better and it's, it's made for this purpose. All right. What, are, what is your purpose? All right, you're not made for speed, as much as my son may think that. Um, all right, you're made for the glory of God. And, like, our, our lives are meant to be, like, more and more fine-tuned. So, like, everything we do is, is about glory and about focus on on loving him and loving other people to the glory of his name. And All right, we need, we desperately need all of the, the truths and the blessing and the hopes of this book. And they must saturate our lives so that we can glorify God and be like utterly dedicated to that mission. All right, we cannot neglect it. And it also shouldn't be used to, to go off some other thing, some other goal. To, to bless ourselves or pursue the world. Like, no, the glory of God and his worship. All right. Behold, uh, nope. Yep, next exhortation. Next one. All right. Three. We're getting there. All right. This one, uh, this one is not fun. I don't like this one, but uh, God does. So the next exhortation uh, is provoking us to righteousness. Verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. All right, so this is uh, hearkening back once again to Daniel. Daniel 12.10 says this, many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. 
None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. All right, do you see how it sounds, sounds similar? But in Daniel, what was it? It was, a, it was a prophecy about the future. That this is just going to be the case in the future. And now, that future has come. And what, has, what was a prophecy is, has morphed into what? A commandment. And a commandment not just for the holy to be holy, but for the evildoer to do evil and the filthy still to be filthy. All right, why? Why is there a command here for the evil to do evil and for the filthy to be filthy? All right, this is meant to be shocking. And we're supposed to, to balk at this when we see that this thing that was prophesied is now guaranteed to take place such that God isn't even saying to, for the filthy to stop. He's saying, no, this is, this is the plan. The plan is for those, those who are hardened and who do, do not want to come to Christ, do not want to receive the gospel, do not care about justice or, or, uh, or destruction or hell itself. And so we know you don't care, so remain there. Remain there, and that will be your purpose. That will be your calling. And God is even saying that in, in my justice, you are, you are being obedient to your own hearts and your own slavery to sin, and I will use, me, use you for my purpose anyway. That's a difficult message. It's very black and white. It's saying that there's those who are hardened and will not believe. Remain there. There are those who holy and are holy and believe. Remain in your holiness. All right, it's intentionally making it black and white to kind of suss out the people in the middle who aren't sure where they stand. And they're in this weird blended morph of are they holy and righteous, but their actions don't show it? Or they're, they're wicked, but claiming to be good? And what do you think? He's, he's, he's dividing the lines and saying, okay, be one or the other. Be one or the other. Bless me. <laughs> and I think the call for us is, Right. If you want, if you want to be the holy and the righteous and the blameless and the pure, right, then be that. Really be that. The time for being divided and the time for being in the middle is, is over. The time is soon, the time has come, the time is near. And for those who want to stay there, you will find out. You will find out if these words are trustworthy and true. And Jesus goes on and says, Behold, I'm coming soon bring my to bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. 
All right, there's lots of questions about this because people are like, well, how are we going to be judged? Are we judged by our works? To be recompensed for, for what we have done? Yes. Yes, we are judged by our works because our works reveal our faith. What really matters is the faith. But we're judged according to our works. Why? Because, as we look in the, later in the book, we're, we're so prone to be liars. And we say, yeah, I have faith. And he's saying, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to see what, what you claim your faith is. I don't know your faith by your works. James speaks of the, these very same things. It's not the works that save. It's the works that reveal the faith that saves. Now, what's the point of this? All right. I think it is almost like a challenge. That as you hear this, that you look at your works and say, who do, who do I want to be? Do I want to be among the, the filthy and the wicked and the, those under the wrath of God? Or do I want to be the, the holy and the righteous? And which one does my actions reveal? All right. If you want to be and live like the ones who are holy and righteous, then this is a call to, to live. Live in the truth. Kill. Kill the things that are destroying you. Fight sin. Hate it. Run from idolatry. That your, your heart and your actions may be aligned. Amen? All right. Now, some of you don't like that, but I'm going to temper it with this. Watch. All right, so the fifth, fourth one. It's another encouragement that it almost looks like the opposite of the third, and it's kind of meant to be that both of these things are true and they're held together. That God is ever sovereign over all things, and he says, Come. Come, sinners, and wash in the blood of Christ. Verse 13. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All right, he is, he is before all things. He is eternal. He is the one who decides all things. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things from the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We have two kind of mixed metaphors here. We have the, the language of the robes. The language of this is inside, outside. All right. So, inside, inside is the, 
is the kingdom. Inside is a new heavens and a new earth, the, the garden of Eden and access to the tree of life. And outside, outside is judgment. Outside is those alienated from God. Those still in their sin. Right. Well, remind us, right, it says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Right. Jesus Christ, Hebrews, Hebrews gives a beautiful picture of it. He says, all right, if anyone was on the inside, it was Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He comes to the outside. He goes outside the gates. He goes outside the city. He goes and becomes an abomination. He becomes impure. He becomes unclean. He is crucified and bears all of the sin of all those who are outside, shedding his blood, dying the death we deserve to die, bearing the judgment that we deserve to bear. And then he says, come. Because we're all outside. He came to us outside and he says, you want by my blood, I will wash you clean from your sins and you can come in. All right, that is the only means by which anyone makes it to the new heaven and new earth. No one was born inside. No one can get inside without the blood of Christ washing them clean, removing their sins from them. And that's why Christ came. He came to, to those who are outside to shed his blood to wash us clean. And so why, why are some still outside then? It's not because they're greater sinners. It's because they, they didn't want the blood. They didn't want the, to wash their robes. They didn't come. They didn't come to him. Maybe they tried to get in without him. Or maybe they wanted nothing to do with him. But did not go to the one who came to them. And that's where we're reminded. What? That he says, says, come, come, come. Uh, There's two, two images here. I'll explain them quickly. Uh, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. This is reinforcing that same concept. All right, he is both the root and the offspring of David. All right, what is he saying? There's a tree, a tree of all the people who were saved. And you know what he is? He's both the root of that tree and the offspring of it. He's the beginning and the end of it. He is the whole tree. And you don't find salvation except for, uh, in him. He calls himself the bright morning star. All right. Ancient Near Eastern culture. There was a star. It's probably Venus, but, but yeah. Um, and well, they would see it, and they'd call it the morning star, and it was the last star that you would see before the dawn. And so if you wanted to know if dawn was coming, you would look and you'd see, oh, there, there's the morning star. It must be almost morning. All right, why does this matter? All right, salvation isn't Jesus. He is the one who will bear the dawn of the new age, the new heavens and new earth, not you. He is the one who possesses salvation from the beginning to the end, not you. He is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. 
And everything stands on whether or not you get him or not. Whether or not you've come to him. And so, who, who says come? The spirit and the bride say come. They call out. Let the one who hears say come. Who is this? This is believers who have come to Christ, who have come inside the city. And we're not mocking those who are outside. What are we saying? We're saying, come. Come to Jesus. Come to the the spring of life. Come to salvation. Come bear his blood. Come receive without price the grace of Jesus Christ and all of his love and mercy that flows from the cross. Find payment for sin and come. And we hold these two things together. That you and I, we do not know, and we will never know, the black and white categories. Instead, we come to all people and say, come. This is a unique time in redemptive history where we can call people to come. This is saying that, like, okay, there's... There's some things that you can only that you can do in heaven forever. Evangelism is not one of them. People can come, they can be saved. Come to Christ. Live as the holy ones, as the righteous ones. Be transformed. Put your faith in Christ who offers without price. All right. Finally, I warn everyone who hears the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the books of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. All right, what does this not mean? This is not a proof text for why there are 66 books in the Bible and you're not allowed to take any out or add anything in. That is not what this is saying. All right, are good, good, clear with that? All right, this is not the text that says that we Protestants have the right Bible. Or, uh, this is not how it works. All right, John did not write this thinking, well, this is going to go at the end of the Bible, and so it'll summarize what you shouldn't do with the rest of it. No, that's not what it means. It's, that's true. That's true. Please don't do that. <laughs> but that's not what this passage means. Uh, the intention is good. Uh, all right, what is this talking about? Uh, once again, this is Old Testament. This comes from Deuteronomy. Basically saying the curses that are found in Deuteronomy are curses for adding or removing. And it's synonymous with idolatry. To add to this book is like, hey, let's, let's also add love for Baal or an Asherah pole because those, those seem great. Or cutting out certain commandments like don't have idols. That's removing things. And the summary of like abandoning the covenant and running after other gods is called adding and removing. It's for destroying the covenant. It's for neglecting the covenant. And what does it mean here? This book, uh, it actually, it's probably the same author and it ends exactly the same. First John ends with this. It says, little children... Keep yourself from idols. And that's essentially what Revelation is ending with. It's saying, don't add or remove 
You don't need other gods. You don't need other saviors. You don't need other blessings. You don't need other rulers and kings. You have Christ. You have Christ and he will come again. He is faithful and he is true. And he loves us. Here's our great bridegroom who longs to be with us, who is preparing a place for us, who is preparing the wedding supper of the Lamb, that we may dwell with him in all of his love for all eternity. And what is John leaving with? He's saying, be a faithful fiancé, be a faithful bride, wait for Christ. Stay dedicated and faithful. As he is faithful and true, be faithful and true to him. Wait for him because he is coming soon. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the plan that is in place. We, we praise you for your promises to work in spite of all evil and through evil and, and out of evil and, and redeem a people for yourself to display your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray that we would receive these promises and these blessings, that we would live as a people who believes that these words are trustworthy and true, who longs to see Jesus, the one who is trustworthy and true, and who is coming for us and to us. Lord, for those who have not come, we pray that they would come to him, that we may dwell together for all eternity with Christ our bridegroom. Jesus, would you come quickly? Would you come and, and receive all the glory that is due for all that you've done for us? We pray in Christ's name.